And as we begin, let's all read the Lord's Prayer together. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, tonight we have uh, come to and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So talking about forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is a good thing for us to talk about. And there's much to discuss when it comes to forgiveness. So let's talk about it a little bit tonight. What might be said? Let's just look at the plain meaning of the words here at first. Uh, in Matthew 6.12, if you're looking at it with me, Matthew 6.12, it says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's just make sure we're understanding just the plain meaning of the words here. Forgive us our debts, that is what we owe you, as we also have forgiven our debtors, though who, those who owe us something. We don't know what yet, right? In context, we're going to look at it. Forgive us what we owe you as we have forgiven in the past. So there are definitely two tenses being used here, right? Forgive us now for our debts as we have forgiven in the past those who were indebted to us, right? First question we ask is this. Is this about debts or sins? Is this about debts or sins? Because if you take this at the plain meaning of the words, it could be about debts. Forgive us everything that we owe you, which we don't know what that is, as we have forgiven everybody who owes us something. So you owe me something, I've forgiven you. You don't owe it to me anymore. Well, it would be contradictory to what we read in Romans chapter 13, right? Owe nobody anything, that's good, except to love them. So you owe me love, and I'm not going to forgive you of that. I owe you love, and you're never going to forgive me of that. We are indebted to each other in love, okay? Um, so Romans 4.4 is helpful. It, Romans 4.4 says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. I'm going to read that again. Now, to the one who works, his wages are counted not as a gift, but as his due. So when you work and you get your paycheck, you don't say, hey, what a wonderful gift you've given me. Thank you so much. No, you say, well, that's what you owed me. And it's the exact same word here used in Romans 4.4 for debt. It is what is owed. And this is very important to take with us as we start to talk about this. It is what is owed. You worked for it, you earned it, and now this is owed to you. 
Everyone who owes you something will be released from that, whatever this thing is, right? There are people who owe you. They have worked, and you are going to pay them what they're due, what they're, what they're owed, right? But you're not. You're going to forgive them. They're not going to owe that to you anymore. Well, what is it? What do they owe you? Um, look just ahead because this is the only part of the Lord's Prayer that is given any kind of further uh, understanding throughout this whole thing. There is only one phrase that's, that's come back to by Jesus and it's in verse 14 if you look at it with me. So notice that the Lord's Prayer ends in um, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You notice that in the ESV, we seem to be missing some words. It's because it's just a textual variant issue, which we'll get to, right? But okay, verse 14 says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So it may be disconnected from what's said here, but it's obviously not because this is the only part that talks about forgiveness. For forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who, uh, who owe us. So what's being said here, debts or sins, uh, Luke 11.4, just make reference to that uh, if you're taking notes. Luke 11.4. Because it all becomes really, really clear. Forgive us our sins. So this is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So you see both parts there. So it's very clear that this is, yes, about debts, but it's about a certain kind of debt. It's about sin debt. We are forgiving other people their sin debt as God forgives our sin debt. So yes, it's about debts, and yes, it's about sin. It's about both, but we have to understand that this is about sin debt, and you are going to forgive people who owe you sin debt if you want to be forgiven by the Father, that is. So that leads us to our next question. Is this a threat to our salvation? Because look at the wording. In Matthew uh, 6, 14 and 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will, forgive, will also forgive you. Good. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That sounds like a threat to our salvation. The wording of that sounds like, if I don't forgive you for sinning against me, then God is not going to forgive me for sinning against him because that's what it says. So how are we to understand that in light of other passages that have led us to an understanding that there is no threat to our salvation other than not having faith in Christ. So how do we make sense of this? Why is that even there if there's no threat at all? Just follow that concept with me. Why does it say, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you? But if you don't, why is this in here? Why is this here? 
If you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If it's not a threat to our salvation, then what is being threatened here? Something is being threatened. If you don't forgive, this is going to be the result, right? Or is that the way we should be looking at it? I made a parallel to what we should be familiar with out of 1 John. So we've, we've been in John a lot, for, or the letters of John a lot, and so we know um, kind of what's going on there. So just look, just look at 1 John 14, uh, I, I, or 4.20, rather. Uh, it's on the screen. It says, I'm going to read verse 19 first. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And then verse 21 says, And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do you remember all this? So, how do we understand who is a true child of God and who is not? Those who are loving their brother. You see, it's not a way to become a child of God. It's a way to identify the children of God right? We talked about this in great detail. This is not a way to become a child of God. Oh, God wants me to love all of his children, all of his faith children, right? All those who are believers. God wants me to love them. So if I want to become a child of God, then I need to start loving God's children. See, that's, that's wrong. It's not how to become a child of God, is it? No, it's how to identify the children of God. How do you identify the children of God? Well, they'll have love in their hearts for the other children of God. That's, that's the identifying key element to who they are. They love the children of God. So same is true here with forgiveness. Is that if you are truly a child of God, in other words, let's just take it in terms of the Lord's Prayer. If you are seeking his kingdom, you want his kingdom to come. If you want his will to be done, right? If you want his name to be glorified above all things, if you depend on him daily, give us this day our daily bread. If all this is true, then guess what that will mean for you? That you forgive other people who are indebted to you, just as you have been forgiven by the Father. You see, it's how to identify and remind us of who we are in Christ. As a child of God, this is to remind us constantly that we are forgiven and therefore this has transformed us and we forgive in return. Now, has anyone in this room forgiven everyone that's ever sinned against them perfectly? The answer is no. And so if this was a threat to our salvation, guess what for everyone in this room? We wouldn't have salvation because we have not properly loved God and loved our brother and forgiven them the way God has forgiven us, right? We haven't, we haven't forgiven other people the way God has forgiven us. So we haven't quite met the mark here. So what is this calling us to do then? Well, when we pray this, what are we praying for? That God would forgive us of our sins. As a believer... How many of your sins are forgiven? Which sins are forgiven? I, I recently asked this question and we answered it. When you come to faith in Christ, which of your sins are forgiven in that moment? 
past, present, and future sins. Otherwise, we would not be justified in his sight, not condemned. So why then would we ask, as a child of God, forgiven in the name of Christ, that God would forgive us of our sins? Something that has already occurred in the past at the moment of faith. Why do we need to pray for that? Well, why do we need to pray for God's will to be done if God's will is going to be done? Why do we need to pray for the kingdom of God to come if the kingdom of God is going to come? Why do we need to pray for God's name to be revered if that is God's mission that his name would be revered? Right. But at the same time, we continue to understand why these things are here, right? Because they change us. But let me also remind you of 1 John 1, 9. What does it say? If we confess our sins, and who's, who's the us? Who's the we? Unbelievers? Or believers? Believers. If we, believers, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is a sense in which believers are forgiven of all their sins, and yet we plead with the Father that he would forgive us of our sins. How does all this work, and why would we do that? And what does that have to do with our brother? Those people who are indebted to us, what does that have to do with them? Why is our forgiveness, our, our, our forgiveness, that is God forgiving us, why is it contingent upon us forgiving other people? So there's a parable later on in Matthew chapter 18. So we're in chapter 6, right, in Matthew? So there's going to be a parable that comes up in chapter 18, and we're going to look at it for just a few minutes. It's uh, 14 verses, I believe. So turn in your Bible over to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at the parable. Okay, I'd like to just read it, and then we'll just talk about it. So here's the question. If you look at chapter 18, verse 21, listen to the question. We've all had this question, whether we've actually had the question or like... We've not, maybe we've not actually asked somebody this question, but we've said it in our own heart. Listen to what the question is. Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as, say, seven times? That's the question. Repeat offender. Has anyone been sinned against by the same person? kind of how it happens, actually. So, if this is true, that we should be forgiving, he knows that already, uh, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Now, the reason seven times is brought up could be various, but it seems as though the evidence suggests that there was a rabbi who was teaching at the time that was a co common understanding that after you forgive somebody the third time, the fourth offense is unforgivable because you should have repented by then, truly repented. You should have been beyond that by now. So someone can sin against you three times and then four. So, so when Peter comes up and he says seven, he's actually saying more than double what the other guy says, clearly, because Jesus' standards are higher. We're going to more than double it. We're going to go with seven because God likes the number seven, right? So how about seven times? How many times should I forgive my brother that sins against me? Seven times? And let's listen to Jesus' answer. 
Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but if you have an ESV, 77 times. If you have another translation, it's, it's potentially different coming up with, you know, 400 or so times. That's um, just because it, l- the, the point here is that it's an outrageous number, right? You understand it's not the time. So, like you're keeping track. You know, seven, we're getting close, 69, 70, we're so close, please keep going. Um, it, that's not the point. The point is that it's this, this number that you can't even keep track of, that's how many times you forgive. So, moving on from that. Therefore, um, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So, introduce a parable, right? So, Jesus is going to tell us a story about forgiveness, about how to forgive our brother who sins against us. So let's listen. So uh, when he began to settle, one was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. We're going to continue on, but just understand what we just read. There's a king and there's a servant that owed the king a lot of money. And so he, uh, he, he said, you owe me a lot, and so I'm going to sell you and your whole family to try to make some of my money back that you can't pay. He said, no, 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 please don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, and so he fell on his knees, and out of pity, the master just released him and forgave him of the debt. Unbelievable. Okay, so next, verse 28. But when the same servant, the guy who was just forgiven, he went out, and he found with him one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down, he pleaded with him, have patience on me, and I'll pay you. But he refused, and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you have not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So an incredible story here on what this kind of forgiveness Jesus is talking about here, what it means. So I have on the screen for you just um, some information that makes this parable, I think, come to life a bit. A denarius was a day's worth of work. And 100 denarii would be 100 days of work, work, of course, right? One talent would equal 16 years of work every day. That, by the way, that's every day, 365 days, is the way I did the math. Every day, 16 years. 10,000 talents would mean 160,000 years of work. And that's what he owed. He owed his master 160,000 years of work for an average man's pay. And that's what he was forgiven. Now, he went to his servant, to a fellow servant, 
And the fellow servant owed him 100 denarii, which is only 100 days work. And he would not forgive him. Do you see how extreme the parable is here? Because it starts to put things in perspective. By the way, I did the math. This 160,000 years of work would equal for me $6,400,000,000 of debt. $6,400,000,000 of debt for me. I'm never touching that number. That's just a fairy tale. And I owed this to someone and they forgave me. For all of that, for that extreme amount, you just forgave me, you just forgave it. No, it's gone, erased, no more. And then I go to someone who owes me, you know, $20,000, which, hey, that's still a lot of money, isn't it? Is it anywhere near how much I was forgiven? No, but I wouldn't forgive him. I said, no, you're going to pay me every cent. This is what it's like to be forgiven by the Father, and yet we hold a grudge toward other people for this insignificant thing. You have been forgiven so much, and yet you won't forgive someone else for this little thing? That's the whole point. We have been forgiven this incredible amount of sin debt. And yet, when someone sins against us, this minuscule amount, we say, no, I'm not forgiving you. You choke them until they pay every little thing that they're going to give you. But this should not be the way that we forgive other people. We should be forgiving because we have been forgiven so much. And so our hearts should be transformed by this. I just, I thought of James 2.13 when I was reading that, and it says, mercy without, uh, judgment without mercy, uh, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, this still hasn't answered a couple of questions for us. Um, And really, uh, let's just talk about this. We're going to look at two aspects of forgiveness because there are two aspects of forgiveness. Um, but the big question is this, should we forgive all people who sin against us, even those who are unrepentant? So you understand the question here. Should we forgive everyone all the time, blanket answer, even those people who are not sorry for what they did? So just, you know, Brief little survey by head nods. Has anyone ever sinned against you and they're not sorry for it to this day? Everybody in the room, that is a common thing. So if you feel like, oh, but people sin against me and they don't ever say they're sorry and I'm, you know, such a sad situation for me. That's everybody. Everybody experiences that. Everyone. How do you handle that? Because if we are to mirror God's forgiveness, who does God forgive? All people regardless of their repentance? or the people who repent. Think about it. Who are the people who benefit from the forgiveness of God? All people everywhere all the time, or the people who repent? It is the people who repent. So are we then to just be just like that? 
I'm never going to forgive you ever unless you repent. And so I'm going to not ever forgive you unless you repent. Now, there are actually a, some passages that seem to point toward this reality. And there are some who hold on to this tight. But it's only because there's a misunderstanding of two aspects of forgiveness. There are two aspects of forgiveness. One is all the time, and the other is conditional. And there's a little bit of overlap, so we're just going to look at these two aspects. Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll summarize this by saying our forgiveness of others is motivated by, that's true, and modeled upon God's forgiveness of us in Christ. That's true, isn't it? However, there's a big difference because we are not God, right? So we model our forgiveness on who God is and what he did. And it's based upon that. It's motivated by that. I've been forgiven. But the thing about it is that we are not God. Do you remember something that Jesus uh, got a lot of heat for? Saying what? Your sins are forgiven. Who are you to say that people's sins are forgiven? Well, Jesus had every right to do that because he is God, right? Here's a difference. You are not. I am not. We are not God. So it's a little different. It's modeled on God's forgiveness, yes. It is motivated by God's forgiveness, yes. We want to forgive because we've been forgiven, but how does this all work together? And who are the people I should forgive? And are there times when I should not? And because there are times when God doesn't forgive. So how does all this work? Um, Colossians 3, 12 and 13. As we look at these two different aspects, there's uh, just this verse that I, I just want us to keep in mind. It's actually two verses. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Put on then as God's whole, uh, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, uh, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if a complaint, uh, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive, right? So if you sin against me, and the Lord's prayer is, Lord, forgive me as I have already forgiven everyone else, right? Now, if you sin against me, at 10.35 on Sunday morning, right? Something's, we're about to have service, about to gather. You know, we're like, we're, we're just walking right here and something happens. By the way, which has happened to me at that very time. What, how do you handle that? What do you do with that circumstance? Is it an immediate forgiveness that's gone because I'm supposed to give every, forgive everybody all the time and I just I turn a blind eye to their sin is that what forgiveness means so here we have there is an underlying condition of the heart that we must have all the time regardless of the circumstance and what is that condition it should be a compassionate heart that is kind that is humble that is meek and that is patient and bears with each other. That should be our heart's disposition all the time, regardless of the circumstance. Whether someone meant 
to hurt you or not, if it was malicious or not. Because don't we, in our conversations, don't we talk about, like, well, I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to offend you. And you're like, oh, well, that's different. But what if it's malicious? What if they say, yeah, I meant to say that. I meant to hurt you with that. What do you do with that? We like to make these, you know, boundaries and these, you know, containers. And like, well, they sinned kind of this way and I forgive that. But if you did this to me, I don't forgive that. And I hold that grudge until, you know, it seems like there are all these different kind of circumstances that we create in our minds about how people sin against us and what we're to do in response. You know, where this, I think, services itself most is probably within the home, right? And why might that be? Because you spend so much more time with those people. I say the home, but really wherever you spend the bulk of your time is where you're going to run into these issues, right? Wherever you spend the bulk of your time are the people who are going to offend you, who are going to sin against you, because that's the reality of, that's just how it works, right? So, as we're in any situation, just keep in mind, we're always to have compassionate hearts. That never changes, no matter how much you're sinned against. Does that change the fact that you should, well, I normally have a compassionate heart, but because you sinned against me, I'm going to change that. No, that's actually the, the most important time to have a compassionate heart is when you're being sinned against, right? Otherwise, it's really easy to be compassionate and kind and humble and forgiving, Right? No, you need, to, you need to take that up a notch when you're being sinned against. That's when you should have it most. So let's just talk about these. In t- what, uh, two, two aspects. First, internal, in, internal forgiveness. That's the first aspect, internal forgiveness. We must forgive those who sin against us, always blanket statement in this aspect. Never is there a time when someone sins against you that you should, in this sense, not forgive them. Mark eleven twenty five. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Forgive if you have anything against anyone. Who? It, it, there's, there's no catch there. It's like anyone. Anyone. You forgive. Because we're talking about this aspect of forgiveness. 1 John 2, 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Your sins are forgiven. And yet, 1 John 1, 9 says, what? Pray for forgiveness for your sins. So there are two aspects to forgiveness. There is a certain aspect of forgiveness where we always forgive. We always forgive. We must always have a heart disposition of grace, mercy, love toward the undeserving the undeserving. And if we properly understand our position before God, then that helps, right? Were you deserving of God's forgiveness? What about a little bit? You kind of were though, right? You were a little bit deserving. You were a little bit better than other people around you. And you can, you can understand why God would forgive a person like you. Or were you not deserving at all? Are you deserving of God's forgiveness? No, none. You were undeserving of forgiveness. So, does that change the way you view forgiveness of other people? Which kind of people do you forgive? Well, I'll forgive you because, well, I like you. You're deserving of forgiveness. But you, I don't like you. And I'm not going to forgive you. 
I take these to the extremes because, listen, I hear a lot of stuff. I've talked to all of you. I know everybody in the room. I know the way we operate. And you know that what I'm saying is true. Your mind does this. You know that you create categories of forgiveness. Some people I forgive, some people I just don't. Not yet. Uh Uh-uh. They haven't earned my forgiveness. What have they earned? Whatever they've earned and you owe them, forgive it. You let it go. How can I do that? The same way that God forgave you. God had compassion on you, right? We have compassion on others. Romans 5, 6 through 8. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the deserving godly people. Or does it say he died for the ungodly, right? Christ died for the ungodly. All right, let's look... uh, I think you get this idea. I will will read Ephesians 4, 30 and 32, though. This is good. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We just talked about this on Sunday. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And instead, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as Christ forgave you. This is good because... It is talking to believers that you should not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. And the way that you do that is by being bitter, wrathful, angry, uh, slanderous. You don't have a tender heart. You're not forgiving. All things that we have experienced in our own heart at times grieves the Spirit of God who lives in us. It's not the way he wants you to be. So what is the other aspect then? I'll just summarize what I just said by saying this, if you didn't follow me. We maintain an internal disposition of mercy and forgiveness toward all who are indebted to us. Nobody is worthy of forgiveness. We are not worthy of forgiveness. If you have been freely forgiven of so much, are you really willing to choke out a person who is indebted to you for so little? I mean, that's... That helps us to put things in perspective, does it not? So what is the other aspect of forgiveness? The other aspect of forgiveness is an external type of forgiveness that we must forgive those who repent. So always and in all circumstances, we forgive all people who sin against us. True. But there is another aspect of forgiveness that is also discussed in the scriptures. That is an external type. It's not an internal disposition of the heart, but it's actually something external. Because the internal disposition of your heart is always forgiving. But it's met with something on the outside. So, I already talked to you about 1 John, right? So, Luke 17, 3 and 4 um, is kind of the key, key text that's used here. Luke 17, 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins... Rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day turn and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So do you hear in this text where there's a, someone who sins against you, and then it says, rebuke him. 
Did you catch that? That you didn't just act like they never sinned against you? So there's a different aspect. So in your heart, you've forgiven the offense, but you have not forgotten it. Do you see what's happening here? You have forgiven it from your heart. You're not angry at them. You don't have wrath for them. You have forgiven. You have a compassionate heart. You have mercy. You've been forgiven of so much. I'm not going to withhold forgiveness. But I am going to call you out in your sin. And uh, if he repents, forgive him. So does it mean that I can withhold forgiveness in my heart? That if he doesn't repent, well, I have every reason to be angry and wrathful. No, because that's never the case, right? Didn't we already lay that groundwork? So what does it mean? Um, this is where we work into Matthew chapter 18, which is talking about discipline, church discipline. So just imagine, if you would, someone in the, in the church sins against you and that it is real sin and they are unrepentant of that sin. Should the entire church just forgive that person and act like it never happened? Should we just act like it doesn't exist? Is that what forgiveness is? Forgiving and forgetting. It's amazing how all this stuff is tied together, right? Forgiving and forgetting. Does God forgive and forget? Does God forget anything? No. So does forgiveness necessarily mean that we have to just forget that it ever happened? But isn't that kind of actually how people kind of think it works? That, oh, I thought that was in the past. Why are you bringing that up again? Obviously, you haven't forgiven me. Well, I have forgiven you, but I have not forgotten. Right? So... I'll have to just summarize this. But in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, it says, if, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If, if he's listened to you. But if he does not, take two others with you so that every charge may be established on the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything and ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So, first of all, this does not mean that where two or three people are gathered, the Spirit of God comes and dwells among them. Listen, you don't need two people to do that. You just need one. You know that, right? Like the Spirit of God is already in me. I don't need two or three people for the Spirit of God to be among us. I just need one person. I need me or any believer. The Spirit of God is already there, so that's not what that means. When two or three people come together in judgment, in unison on an issue, God is there with them in that judgment if they have followed what he has said to do. That's what that means, where two or three are gathered in judgment. Uh, anyway, uh, I hear that used uh, incorrectly all the time, so I just thought I'd say something about that since we're there. So um, what this is saying is, take this brother who sinned against you and forgive him in your heart, because we already know that's true, but then confront him in his sin. If he doesn't listen to you, take someone with you. If they don't listen again, take it to the church. And if they don't listen to the church even though there is an inward disposition of forgiveness and kindness and compassion in your hearts, you still need to do something about it externally, which is cast him out and treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector. 
The hope being what? That they are restored back into fellowship because it worked. That, so do you see that there is an internal disposition, but then there is an external type of forgiveness? It's odd that it's the same word. I, I understand that, but it's two aspects of this. There's an inward disposition that never changes, but then there's an external part that we have to actually act upon. We don't just forgive and forget like it never happened. There, there are multiple passages about this. Um, I'm just going to use one. You can see that I had many planned. I'm already over time. Okay, so I, I'm not going to do that, but I am at least just going to read one, and then I have one more point to make before we're finished for tonight, okay? So I just want to illustrate what I just said to you with another passage, and hopefully Scripture will make it a little more clear if I haven't made it clear. So 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. Why are we looking so much in detail at this? Because there, there are nuances here that I think we should work to understand. When it says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us, Lord, of our sins. Yes, we already are forgiven, but there is a sense in which we need to continue to ask for God's forgiveness. Why? Because even with God, there are two aspects to forgiveness, Right? When you sin, does God turn a blind eye to it or does he confront it? He confronts it by discipline, right? So there is an external part to God's forgiveness. Pray for forgiveness so as to transform your heart and bypass discipline because you realize you were in the wrong. I don't need it. I don't need it. You know, I don't, I don't need that discipline. I get it already. I can sense the discipline coming. But Lord, please, I, I'm there and I'm on my knees right? So, for example, if your child does something and they come to you and they ask for forgiveness before the discipline comes, do things change? Do things change? They say, listen, I'm coming to you. I don't know if you know about it yet or not. I just want you to know, I know what I did. Well, it doesn't mean that there'll be no discipline, but it does change the situation. Now, God wants us to confess our sins to him, but he doesn't turn a blind eye to the believer's sin even though you are already forgiven, right? Okay, I'm trying to just say that in a numerous ways because this is kind of a difficult concept because we forgive, it seems simple. We just forgive everybody who sins against you. Is that what God does? And does he forgive and forget or does he leave it in the past? Does God keep no record of wrongs? Does he bring things back up? Does, should we do that? There are lots of questions here, and I'm, hopefully we're answering the primary ones. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 5. It is actually reported to me that there's sexual immorality among you and a kind that's not even tolerated among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And are you arrogant? Are you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this thing be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit, and if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, my spirit is present. With the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, listen, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This guy's a believer. So 
So although there is always an inward disposition of the heart of forgiveness, it doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to what people are doing. But there's an external aspect of it. It's really the word we're looking for here is reconciliation, right? How can I be reconciled to a person who doesn't even know that or won't admit that what they've done is wrong and has hurt me and has sinned against me? Well, it is a difficult aspect, isn't it? Especially maybe when it's family members or when it's maybe distant relatives or someone you're in contact with. How do I handle that situation? Always, always, always there is an inward disposition of your heart that is forgiving on whoever it is, compassionate heart, on whoever it is. And what we hope for and we pray for is also the external aspect of this that the person is repentant and that the relationship is restored. But still, even in that, we don't just forget all that's ever happened, right? We just forget. So I'll, I'll end just by saying this. I think this maybe pulls things together because it, it, cause you say, well, what about this? I said, well, what about this? And so I'm going to say that to us. What about this? And that's where we're going to end. How should we treat our enemies? Because if we're thinking, well, I'll forgive people who repent and who say they're sorry, but I'm not going to forgive those people who don't say they're sorry. Uh, how does scripture tell us we're to treat our enemies then? Tell me that. So let's look at Luke 6, 27 through 31. Because we, we already know the answer. But there's more. There's a little bit more to it. So it says in Luke 6, Verse 27, but I say to you, who here, love your enemies, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who, listen to the words, abuse you. And as for the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one. To the one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and for the one who takes away your goods, don't demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do to them. So I say to you, love your enemies. So these are people who are against us, who sin against us and don't repent. They know what they're doing, and they're, they're not sorry for it. They're doing it on purpose. So that's worst case scenario. Does the Lord's Prayer include those people? Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. Does it include our enemies who hate us and persecute us and hurl insults at us and abuse us? It includes these people too. Love them. Do good things to them. Bless them. Pray for them. In the world we live in, we're told and we, we, our heart tugs us toward the opposite of all these things. For those who are against you and hurt you and sin against you, here's, here's our temptation. To hate them. To do bad things to them in return. To curse them. And to hope bad things happen to them. That's where we want to go. You hurt me, 
I'm going to hurt you. Bad things happen to me. I want bad things to happen to you. That is an unforgiving disposition of the heart that is not compassionate, right? Not merciful. Consider how much you have been forgiven by God and let that transform your heart to have an inward disposition of your heart that's compassionate and merciful and ready to forgive always, especially in the very difficult situations which we all find ourselves in, right? Forgiveness is easy or hard? Don't want to answer? Okay. It's because it's hard. Forgiveness is hard. The more you're sinned against, the harder it is to forgive. So are we surprised that there's so much teaching in the New Testament about forgiveness? The reason there's so much teaching is because we need to be reminded often that our hearts ought to be transformed to forgive. So when we pray, we need to have forgiveness in mind. When we pray, are we harboring bitterness and wrath in our hearts toward another person? And when you pray, you're saying, oh Lord, thank you for forgiving me so much while I go and demand from these people what they owe me. That is not a humble prayer, right? So that's the way this should transform the way we pray. I have more to say, but I'm not going to say it tonight. So let's just pray, okay? Lord, thank you for your word. There is truth in it, and uh, this is a difficult uh, topic, concept here, and I just pray that you would continue to work on our hearts with forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is difficult. You know that it is. Uh, that's why you uh, teach us in your word to be forgiving and to remind us to have compassionate hearts, merciful hearts. And there, there are several aspects here that we just, that we kind of have to tread through that we have to make decisions and we need wisdom and we need people to come together and make decisions on things. And that's okay. That's good. I pray that you would give us wisdom in that though. Help us to be forgiving. Help us to have compassionate hearts. Help us to put our lives in perspective. Help us to be grateful for all that you have forgiven us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Thank you for bearing with my long-windedness.